Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and it is a big day on Tuesday in the sports world, especially as baseball has announced that it's coming back. So we're looking towards sports in the future now. I feel like that's good news here to talk about that news, as well as some of the other Seahawks news here with me today, John P. Gilbert of Field Goals. John, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. Good to be back. Glad to be another a guest on here. It's been a couple months. It's been a long couple of months, um, but I'm glad to be back. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird to think just how much has gone on here in the last couple of months because, gosh, it was before the draft. I think we talked even, and then not to mention everything else going on in the world. So it's uh, it's it's been a crazy couple of months. But you know, in those couple of months, now we find out today that baseball's coming back, and I, I feel like this has to be a sliver of good news, especially for sports fans, especially. Especially for football fans who in the fall were looking at that, you know, September time frame as, as when, you know, we'd like to see football come back. No, absolutely agree. And I think it's, you know, it's almost like a canary in the coal mine kind of thing where we've got, you know, we, I mean, we've got baseball, we've got basketball is on tap to come back next month. The NHL is on tap to come back. And so it's like, we're going to get to see these things easing in right as the NFL goes into training camp, just as college teams come back for the fall. Um, you know, and if, if the NBA season or the NHL season gets, you know, postponed or suspended or canceled again, then I think that, you know, that'll be a big shock for a lot of us. And a lot of people will kind of be like, whoa, are we going to get football or is this going to be an ugly, ugly fall? Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to set us up for a little bit of a trial run, I think. But, you know, there is a lot of there are a few things that happened this last week. I almost said there's a lot of things, but really, there's not a lot of things, John. There's there's a few <laughs> things to talk about with regard to the Seahawks in this past week. And I think one of the biggest items from this past week is learning that Jamal Adams is asking for a trade. We've kind of talked about it in the past because his name has come up with not being happy about the Jets. But he was linked to the Seahawks with an Adam Schefter tweet with seven teams that Adams would like to be traded to the Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, along with Seattle. And then former safety Ryan Clark said he would also add the Bucks to that list. So eight teams and the Seahawks are among those eight. And I know there's a lot of Seahawks fans going, yeah, could could we make this work? But, you know, there's another segment, too, of they uh, they're still excited to see what Marquise Blair could bring to the team. No, absolutely. I think, you know, that's one of the things where it's like, would you like to see him added? Absolutely. You know, anytime you have a chance to add an impact player to a team, um, you know, especially a position where the team had some struggles in the first half of 2019. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> right. Diggs, Diggs came in, you know, he played well, uh, you know, no knock on him at all whatsoever. But, uh, you know, it's a position where fans saw some struggles during 2019 before that trade to bring Diggs across. And if you can add an impact player who's young, upside, great, fantastic. But then it's, you know, just like you're saying, okay, well, the, we just spent this second round pick on Marquise Blair and we've got, you know, Bradley McDougal for 2020. Oh, where exactly, how are all these pieces going to fit in? Um, you know, it'd be a great problem to have to try and figure that out. But you know, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it, I guess. Right. Well, it, there is that problem of where he fits in. And I guess maybe the secondary problem, although uh, you you talk to Seahawks fans and they go, well, if you have to trade two first round picks, uh, if we were without Rashad Penny and LJ Collier, uh, oh, well, you know, if it if it took two first round picks, you know, if you'd rather have Jamal Adams or those two guys. Yeah, I think I think we know what most Seahawks fans are going to take. A hundred percent agreed on that one. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I guess there's the issue too of salary cap, and I'm kind of curious what you where you come in on this too because yes, you have to give up the first round picks, but he's going to want a long term contract. And if you can make that work, say you can trade Bradley McDougal as part of the package, maybe you know the Seahawks know what they have with Marquise Blair, and they know Adams would be an upgrade enough to where. You know, that uh, you can use Blair in some other kinds of ways, but you can't find the type of talent that Adams is. So I I'm, I guess I'm just having a hard time balancing out where I could see Adams fitting in best and and especially knowing that defensive line still could be a need. No, I, I, I mean, in terms of the salary cap, it always, always, always comes down to how bad does the team want it? Because any team can do anything to make any player fit. It's all about structure, adjusting the contracts that are on the roster. You know, whether that means converting, you know, base salary to signing bonus for Russ to create cap space, whether that means, you know, just structuring the deal creatively for Adams, uh, you know, in terms of salary cap, yes, the Seahawks have been one of the more conservative teams. We saw when they got aggressive in 2017, what that did to their cap in 2018 um, and a little bit, you know, in 2019, not the most comfortable thing, but it's just, you know, if they want to make the trade happen, the cap's not going to stop them. Yeah. You know, if they, I think it's what you would touched on. Otherwise, if they, if they want to make it happen, if they want to add Adams to the equation, you know, the big thing will be the compensation. Are they going to ship two first round picks for him? No. Um, you know, but if there was some kind of middle ground where the, you know, the compensation is reasonable and they have a chance to add an impact player, absolutely. I think they jump all over it. It definitely seems like it, in terms of the way John Schneider works is he waits until it can be the best possible deal. And right now, if it's two, if the asking price is two first round picks, I mean, that seems like a steep price. That's what two first round picks is what the Bears gave up to get Khalil Mack. And I for for Jamal Adams, that just seems a little bit on the steep side. No, absolutely. I thought when you mentioned the Bears, I wasn't thinking Mac. I thought you were going to say Rick Meyer. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that that trade worked out well for us. <laughs> it did. <laughs> but I know just even judging by some of the comments uh, at field goals that uh, if you're going to trade first round picks and it's going to take two of them, a lot of people looking at Chris Jones for the Chiefs and, you know, with him being under the franchise tag and maybe that would make a little bit more sense. No, agreed. I think, um, you know, I think I think fans are a little bit more content with the defensive backfield than they are with the defensive line. I think most fans would love to see an, you know, if they had their choice uh, between adding an impact name on the line or adding an impact pack name in the secondary they're going to add it to the line rather than the secondary um you know but it's i think at a price even at a price of two first round picks i don't i think most fans would pass on adding any names to the line um so spoiled having gotten you know brought digs into the secondary for a fifth brought clowny into the defensive line last year for a third it's (laughs) just kind of (laughs) creates an expectation where you know compensation that'd be too rich right might be you know it's a little too much for most fans right now yeah two firsts and then having to give a a big time contract you know top of the market deal for either position it it does seem like a lot and and not really john schneider's style so um what about uh, considering john schneider's style with these reports on tuesday saying that the seahawks had internal discussions about antonio brown you know i it makes me wonder, you know, just because 
we know the Seahawks will kick the tires on, you know, on anything. They're, they're, they're always listening. They're always, you know, they're, they're willing to have that discussion, you know, and the Seahawks having an, having internal discussions on whether or not to add Antonio Brown, who's likely going to be suspended for the first half, if not more of the season in any case, um, you know, how serious were those is the thing I'd want to know before I got too worked up about the issues one way or the other. You know, it's we all know the what that went down in, you know, New England. We all know what went down in Oakland. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Mike Tomlin deserves coach of the year for the past decade for keeping everything that obviously there was stuff going on there that they kept under wraps. You know, do you want to bring that into your team? Is that the type of atmosphere you want to bring in? I mean, there's been so much pushback from Colin Kaepernick and the, the circus that that would bring with it. But if you're bringing Antonio Brown in, who obviously created a circus in Pittsburgh his last year there, if not for far longer before that created a circus in Oakland, created a circus in new England and lasted all of a week because of everything else going off the on off the field. I mean, it just feels like, that you know those internal discussions might have been along the lines of hey do we have any interest in this or hey russ wants us to look into this guy it's like okay yeah i'll look into it let me look at his wikipedia page no we're, we have no interest so when, when you see internal discussions that literally could be about as far as they go it it is tough to know just how serious it was and and yeah you brought up all the things with oakland in new england you know if if he did what he was accused of doing to Brittany taylor then obviously i mean he'll never play in the nfl again and but if he's cleared in court, if he goes through, we just found out this past week that he has to undergo a mandatory psych evaluation. He has to do a 13 week anger management course. This is all stemming from the altercation he had with the moving truck guy. And so there I wonder if those types of steps could help get things back in order for him if he is able to kind of work through some of those issues, if he could ultimately get a shot again. I, I, I'm curious. No. And I think, I think that's a big thing. I think if he, you know, if he gets through all of that, you know, if he gets through whatever is going on with the NFL investigation into the Brittany Taylor situation, if he gets past the court case with everything that went on, whether it was January, February with the, the incident with the moving truck and gets through all of that, you know, if all of that is in the past and all of these, you know, cans of worms are closed and the Seahawks are in a situation in October, November, where, all right, he's going to be, he'll be eligible for reinstatement for the last six games of the season or whatever it is. You know, do we want to add a potential impact wide receiver to a roster that is potentially going to be competing in the postseason and for a Lombardi? You know, that's a completely different discussion to have at that time as opposed to, hey, you know, it's late June. Who, which of our young wide receivers are we going to whack in order to bring in this guy who, hasn't been able to stick with the team in the past couple of years. Yeah. And the answer is John Ursua. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio Brown might actually be younger. No, <laughs> I, it is. It is a lot to consider. And it just seems like a, a move that is unlikely to be made until the middle of the season. But there might be another team out there willing to do it. We'll see. Josh Gordon. Last week, we heard that he's applying for reinstatement. He's a player who's gotten a lot of second chances in the league, one of those chances with the Seahawks, and he could be back in a Seahawks uniform next year. No, and absolutely. As I wrote about last week or earlier this week, whenever that was, the you know the, the practice squad rules this year changing mm -hmm. and the ability to keep experienced players 
on the practice squad, um, I think it really changes the calculus of where you're at with a player like Gordon because you can he'll probably be suspended for the first couple games of the season because of the PED suspension from last year will carry over into this year for two more games. But then you've got a situation where when he comes back, you can put him on the practice squad, which lets him practice, get his reps in, get comfortable in the offense, work with Russ. You can promote him without risk of waivers um, back and forth from the practice squad. When he gets promoted from the practice squad, he gets paid the full 53 man salary. And then you can, you know, for at least a couple games, you can put him back down to the practice squad without exposing him to waivers. And then even if you do do that too many times, um, he's, he's a vested veteran. He doesn't go through waivers. Right. So, you know, you you promote him to the practice squad a third time. Okay, great. We promoted him from the practice squad. We're going to send him back to the, um, from the active roster to the practice squad. He doesn't have to clear waivers. His contract is terminated. He knows he gets his practice squad contract back on Tuesday. Um, you know, don't leave town, Josh, because we're not really cutting you. So, yeah, kind of the similar situation with Geno Smith and the backup quarterback uh, with the 53-man roster last year. Exactly. You know, they just like they did with Nick Ballour, just like they did with Jerome Brown. It's, you know, it's a situation where they have a lot more flexibility this year because of those, you know, changed rules. And if, if Gordon is really interested in, in Seattle and wants to play in Seattle, you know, he doesn't fit the criteria for what I think the team has looked for in the past in terms of players that they'll take their risks on. You know, he's already... They extended the olive branch once or gave him an opportunity, whatever, gave him, you know, the chance to show what he has. And then, you know, he kind of blew it. And, you know, I, they, those are the type of players like Dion Jordan that they haven't really given a second chance to. So I, I don't know if the team would do it again, but if, you know, Pete Carroll is, he's not the youngest coach in the NFL. I mean, if, you know, and if 2020 or 2021, he feels like our, his last legitimate shots at a, at a Super Bowl, um, you know, maybe it's a thing where they change their criteria. They change what they do. They change the parameters under which they will take a risk. So, well, John, let's talk a little bit more about that after the break, especially you hit on the Pete Carroll thing and you wrote an article about that just a few weeks ago. I want to talk more about that coming up next. Talking to John P. Gilbert of Field Goals and going into the break, we're talking Pete Carroll. And, you know, you you sparked something. I remember the article that you put out just a couple weeks ago talking about the fact that there might be some clues that would lead us to believe that Pete Carroll's nearing his time uh, with the Seahawks. I know you took a lot of heat uh, with uh, particularly with the title being, uh, you know, on the clickbaity side. But, I, you know, if you read the article, I think some people would see that you kind of keyed in on some interesting points in that. Yeah. I, and I'm not saying that it is, you know, I, I mean, but it's obvious, you know, Pete's 68. He's the second oldest coach in the NFL. Um, the, you know, he's at the age where a lot of the great coaches have hung it up and he's just, he's, you know, you got to wonder how much time does he really have left? And then you look at, you take that, you put it together with the way the roster is built and it's, you know, the roster is simply not, there are not a lot of the core star players who are going to carry the roster going forward who are under contract past 2021. And it's, you know, even the, even the players they've signed this off season, Jerron Reed, uh, Bruce Irvin, Vincent Mayawa, they're all 
you know, they're all shorter contracts right. and it, it just really makes you wonder, okay, what's going on here? Like what's, is this a team that's being built in Pete's image? You know, even the offensive line, we're building, bringing in, you know, mauling run blockers, you know, big guys in Brandon Shell and BJ Finney and Mike Upati. And they're only under contract for 2020 and 2021. You know, we've got Russell Wilson signed for four more seasons, but the guys in front of him, you know, what, what leads to that? You want to have that line in place. You want to have those pieces there. Okay. So maybe Pete's style of football is leaving, you know, and it's at some point it will, at some point Pete Carroll will move on. And it just seems like all the pieces are coming together to kind of indicate that not that it's certainty, but it's definitely a possibility that 2020 or 2021 could be that last rodeo for him. Yeah, and I think, I mean, once Coach Carroll hit 65, I think we've kind of seen that uh, that idea that, you know, this or the next year could be Coach Carroll's last year. So he's definitely getting to that age where I think we're probably going to be asking that question almost every offseason. But the idea of lining it up with the the salary cap and the way some of the things are structured, it does it does make you wonder a little bit because it would set up a new coach for having a lot more control over uh, what their particular philosophy might be so it just it sparked my curiosity and uh just because it was a little bit different than you know some of the articles that have speculated on when the potential end for coach carroll could be and it kind of leads me into the salary cap article that you put out this week john you know the the one that kind of broke down all of the different position groups where the seahawks were spending their money it was no surprise to see that the quarterback position was the highest especially with russell wilson getting a you know top of the nfl type contract at quarterback but offensive line right there at number two right behind quarterback and going into this offseason you kind of wondered where Seattle was going to spend their money and and though they haven't gone out and made the big expenditure on the offensive line they've spread out their money quite a bit in in finding guys to to put in front of Russ this offseason no, absolutely. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously a portion of it is a function of the fact that, the, you know, there are more offensive linemen on the roster than any other position. Sure. But at the same time, they're not, when they're signing players on the offensive line, the guys that they're putting out there are projecting to be the starters, you know, they're not signing them to, they're not minimum salary contracts. You've got, I mean, obviously we've got Dwayne Brown, who's a former all pro at left tackle, fantastic, you know, foundation of the line. And he's got a $12 million cap hit this year. Um, but even outside of that, you've got BJ Finney set to come in. He's going to be, it's his first year projected where he's set to be a full starter. He started, you know, games in the past, um, but he's, you know, it's his first year to be a full-time starter and he's going to have a three and a half million dollar cap hit. You've got Brandon Shell, who's coming in projected to be the starter at right tackle after starting at right tackle for the Jets for the past few years. And he's got a three and a half million dollar cap hit. Then you add in, you've got um, Joey Hunt, set to be, you know, in competition with Finney at center, probably it may be a backup. However, the, you know, things fall out there. You're looking at a couple million dollars on a backup center. You're looking at Mike Upati, who's in competition at left guard with Phil Haynes. We'll see how that plays out, but it's a couple million dollars for Upati at left guard. Um, even at the, you know, the sixth offensive lineman, the extra tight end role, jumbo tight end role, however you want to look at it, you know, you've got Agwehi, you know, you're looking at a couple million dollars there that could even go up to over $3 million. So they're bringing in players who are, even the guys they're bringing in there, you know, it's three or 4 million here, a couple million there. And it, it adds up, it's 10, 12 million. They've spent this off season on the offensive line 
without getting that big name or that impact player that a lot of fans have wanted, like a Conklin or a Bulaga. One of the things that it makes me wonder if there's a shift coming of spending is when I look at the defensive line and linebacker spots and linebacker right behind offensive line, 26 million defensive line, 25 million. I I wonder if you went out and looked at a lot of the NFL teams. I don't suspect that there'd be a lot of teams that are spending more at linebacker than at defensive line. No, I think you're spot on there. Um, You know, maybe if someone's going to, you know, project Mac as a linebacker, you know, instead of an edge on the line or whatever. Oh, sure. Um, But just just because of Wagner and Wright, I mean, you know, you know, those are your two guys. They've been there for the better part of a decade. You know, between them, they're almost twenty five million dollars this season. Obviously, going forward, um, you know, you hope that Wagner's going to stay in the equation. Right. You know, I'm sure Seahawks fans have a soft spot in their heart. They'd love to see him stick around and be a part of things going forward. But I think, you know, it's one of those things where at the at the end of the day, they just spend a first round pick on some a player who could be, you know, KJ's replacement next season and Wagner's replacement at some point in the future. So the writing's on the wall that, you know, obviously eventually both those guys are going to be gone right probably sooner than Wagner. Um, you know, and you hate to see that for someone like Wright, who's a fan favorite, who's absolutely fantastic and has just quietly gone about his business in a workmanlike way for the most of the past decade. But it's, you know, it's one of those things where you we wake up and we're talking about this a year from now. We're looking at Wagner with the same kind of cap hit on 2021. Um, but KJ's not under contract and Jordan Brooks, once he signs his contract, will be. So, you know, do you sign KJ to another extension or do you let him go and, you know, play somewhere closer to home going forward for the rest of his career? Now, did you put Bruce Irvin in with the linebackers or defensive line? I threw him on the defensive line. Okay. Yeah. The the comments that he made that he'd be kind of continuing his old position, that would really ramp it up at linebacker if you threw him in there then. So I, I think it makes more sense to put him in with the defensive lineman, though. Yeah, and that's what my feeling was. Okay, you know they they played nickel. Yeah, they played base. You know, seventy percent or whatever it was last year. But they've been in nickel sixty to seventy percent every season before that. Um, you know, I, and with the addition of Dunbar, if he's able to play, if they've got the guys who can go out and compete at nickel better than they've got the guys who can play in a base four three. You know, my guess is we're going to see sixty to sixty five percent nickel next year. Um, and I don't see, you know, they might have Bruce playing that old linebacker role where he's the Sam that's setting the edge um, and then reducing down into defensive end on third down. But I, my guess is we're going to see a lot more nickel on first and second down and then, let, you know, just let Bruce come in and be the hand in the dirt pass rush specialist in an NASCAR package, uh, you know, on third downs. And I think that's where second and long and third down are where we're going to see a lot more of the urban snaps. So I put him on the defensive line. One of my favorite comments that came in on that article was uh, someone there on field goals who said pointed out how the Rams owe more to Brandon Cooks this year than the Seahawks entire wide receiver core. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's Tyler Lockett who is on a, you know, we, we look at this contract now and he's set to make, you know, 12 cost against the cap, 12 and a quarter million dollars. And you just, you think back to when he signed that extension a couple of years ago in 2018 and some fans were absolutely livid that they gave him that contract. And right. now it looks like it's a contract that is an absolute steal for the wide receiver position. Um, 
you know, and then behind him, it's just, it's a whole lot of youth and guys who are looking to prove themselves, uh, you know, and David Moore and DK Metcalf, who are both team control situations. Moore is obviously a restricted free agent. And, um, but even, you know, former first round pick Philip Dorsett is on a league minimum veteran minimum benefit contract that costs next to nothing. And one of his best seasons was uh, in 2016 when he was which Brian Schottenheimer was on the offensive staff for the Colts. So Shotty's worked with more with Dorsett, excuse me, in the past. And hopefully they can, you know, put some of that together and they can, you know, do some nice stuff with Russ. So. Well, running back is toward the bottom of the list on the position groups that are paid just above the specialists, so the kickers and punters. And one of the things we found out this week was that Chris Carson hired a new agent. And so I'm wondering if that I just I wonder what that means with the idea of Chris Carson moving forward, because he's had his injury issues. He had his fumble issues last year, but he is getting into that last year of his contract. I know that uh, he's he's meant a lot to the Seahawks, but I could see Seattle moving on from Chris Carson. It, it doesn't seem as likely for a player now to hold out going into this season, too. So I'm, I'm curious of what your thoughts are with Carson going into this year. I don't think there's any way he's going to hold out. Uh, I think he wants, you know, even if he doesn't get an extension, I think he under the team understands that he understands that they're going to divide up the workload a little bit better this year. I mean, obviously, Penny is expected to start on, you know, the pup list. I would expect him to start regular season on the pup list. Um, and it's going to be, you know, it might be November before he we start to see some of the bursts. We get him, you know, get back towards the penny that he was kind of right before the injury. That said, it's a situation now where between Hyde, between Penny, between Carson, they've got enough horses in the backfield who are the big bruising types, the guys who can deliver the, the physical style of football that the Seahawks like to play, that... I don't think we're going to see Carson get as many carries this year as he has in years past. And hopefully they'll be able to, that'll allow them to address part of the, you know, some of the fumbling issues, address some of those injury concerns. Um, and if, from Carson's standpoint, you know, he, he wants to get out and he wants to show what he can do on the field so that whether he gets an extension or whether he hits free agency, whoever gives him a contract, they're going to give him the most that he can, you know, the best deal that he can earn for himself. So. Well, I do have a salary cap question here. This one came in via Twitter from at by Alistair Corp uh, says, how would a lifetime fully guaranteed contract for Nico Thorpe <laughs> impact the cap? And how far into outer space should we launch John Schneider if he fails to give Thorpe such a deal? Look, I'm a huge Nico Thorpe fan. He is one of my favorites on the team. Um, you know, he's that he's that depth cornerback that everybody's been trying to kick off the roster for the past four years. And he simply he is too good and contributes too much on special teams. And, you know, he's one of those guys who just quietly goes about what he's going to do, what he does, what he needs to do. And, you know, I don't think they're going to give him anything more than a one-year contract anytime soon. But I, you know, I, I will put John Schneider on uh, on my naughty list come Christmas if if they don't bring him back next year. I, I like Nico Thorpe too, but that's a that's a big precedent to set—a lifetime full guaranteed contract. But I, I do like where Alistair's heads out on this, and I I wanted to bring it up here because I know Mookie was not going to allow this to to see FieldGoals.com in your in your next article coming up. Well, you know, like, like I listen to the bosses. I mean, <laughs> we got around it this way. We get around it and, and it's exactly. out there. There we go. And Alistair gets his answer. Yep. <laughs> 
John P. Gilbert of fieldgoals.com. John, what do you got coming up here in the next week or so while it's uh, we're in kind of a little bit of downtime? But I know you got stuff you're working on. Uh, just a couple more cap pieces and follow up to some questions that you know fans have. What's the impact of, you know, if there is no 2020, what's the, you know, or if there is a 2020, but no fans in the stands, what, you know, what's the cap? What are, what's going on with the other players? What can the Seahawks do? Where do they stand? You know, all the basic stuff of, you know, what, what's the cap picture look like? Can the team make the moves that they want to make in order to, to compete on the field in 2020? So. Be sure and follow all that at fieldgoals.com. John, thanks once again for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs>